welcome to the NBAV Podcast. NBAV coming to you with a starting question of which is more laughable, which is more embarrassing? Is it more embarrassing to have a team where you get rid of seven players in one day? Okay, seven players. That's enough for an entire starting roster plus two bench guys. Seven players. And win the game. So meaning you were able to take literally seven players off of your team And not only did it not make a negative impact, you won. So what does that say about your team in general? So would you rather that scenario or the other scenario is you have a team that has some proven players on it. You make absolutely no trades. You don't cut anybody. Your team is exactly the same. And you lose to the worst team in the league. Which side is more laughable? On one hand, you would think that if you're saying we're getting rid of seven players off of our team and then you still go out and win the game, that's kind of saying, well, I guess our team was kind of a joke the entire time. But on the other hand, if you are a team who has some veteran guys and you think you're good to go and you don't make any moves because you don't really see the need to make any moves and you have literally the same team the day before the trade deadline as the day after the the trade deadline, and you go in and you and you lose to a team that just got rid of seven guys and is in a transitional phase, I mean, that's really, really embarrassing. Well, the two teams that I'm talking about right here are, on one hand, the Detroit Pistons. They literally got rid of, in the span of one day, just one day, one 24-hour day, really less than 24 hours, they got rid of Boyan Bogdanovich in a trade. They got rid of Alec Burks in that same trade over to the New York Knicks. They cut Joe Harris. They traded Monty Morris. They cut Killian Hayes. They cut Danilo Gallinari. And they traded away Kevin Knox. So that means they traded away Bogdanovich, Burks, Morris, and Knox. And they cut Gallo, Hayes, and and, and uh, sorry, let's go through that one more time. They traded away Bogdanovich, Burks, Morris, and Knox, and they cut Joe Harris, Killian Hayes, and Daniel Gallinari. So they literally took seven players off of their team. I mean, I I, I don't know if this is a record because I don't. I wasn't sure how to look up such a thing, how to phrase that. To the, to the internet and get a clear answer back. What is the record for the amount of players that were on a team at the beginning of the day and then were no longer on that team at the end of the day? And bear in mind, it gets even worse because it's not like the players who they were bringing over in trades made it to the team before the game last night. So what happened was the Detroit Pistons went out and they, they actually beat the Portland Trailblazers in overtime in a game that they were losing by quite a lot, um, you know, third, fourth quarter, and then they ended up coming back, taking the game to overtime and winning. Meanwhile, the they they have 
they have like a, a fraction of the team that they brought in at the beginning of the day. They were playing guys. Just just listen to uh, you had a guy named Stanley Umudi playing in twenty nine minutes for the for the Pistons last night. Stanley Umudi Umude, not a player I ever heard of. And then you have a player playing 13 minutes named Jared Roden. Number eight, Jared Roden, playing 13 minutes. So, I mean, they had to bring up players to play in this game who have probably never played in the NBA before. Seven players is basically an entire team. Like, I think the Knicks basically had to play seven guys last night. Seven players is, you know, a full team of the playoff rotation. They literally lost seven guys, and then when Adam beat the Portland Trailblazers, who felt that, you know what, we're good to go. We don't need to make a single move. Our team is set. We are good. Now, I, I understand that some of their players maybe didn't play last night, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure why. I don't understand why. Is DeAndre Ayton hurt? Could he not play in the game, the Iceman? Uh, the weather is getting a little cooler. I know he's he's not a fan of the ice, but uh, you know he's not playing in the game. And you have Malcolm Brogdon not playing in the game. But these guys didn't get traded, so where were they? Meanwhile, you have guys on the court like Tumani Kamara, Ashton Higgins, Justin Minaya, and Ebao Badji. So just listen to some of these names. It's really just uh, you know, Chris Murray. Like, have, Has anyone heard of these guys before? They were playing in the games, but I understand it from the Pistons' side. I just don't understand what the Trailblazers were doing. What happened to their team? They didn't actually make any moves. So kind of a little mind-boggling. I, I don't really know what to say from a Trailblazers' perspective, but the Pistons somehow managed to, to win the ball game in the same day that they, in my you know what might be a record, trading slash cutting seven different players off their team. Wow. You have the the Orlando Magic, also a team that didn't really do any moves. So they were able to welcome the Spurs into their hometown of Orlando and beat them pretty easily, 127-111. You have the Warriors, who didn't make any moves, and they were able to pretty much uh, run the Pacers out of their own gym, beating them 131-109. Wasn't really much of a struggle for the Warriors. The Pacers, yeah, they, they had a couple of guys in flux. They had uh, specifically Buddy Heald. But, you know, the Pacers, uh, in a game where Tyrese Halliburton, yeah, he had the assists, but he didn't really do much in terms of the points column. I mean, how often does Tyrese Halliburton play above 25 minutes and only score five points? He's one of those guys who the whole season has been a high points-per-minute player. But here he played 26 minutes. Yeah, he got the 11 assists, but only 5 points. I don't think that that's their recipe for success. Tyrese Halliburton only scoring 5 points in a game. I think if you would tell me that, I would be like, well, no. he's The, you know, the Pacers lose that game. <laughs> Pacers lose that game 9 times out of 10 if, if Halliburton is only scoring 5 points total. So a little bit of a weird game there from the Pacers, especially considering that you know, they didn't lose too many players themselves. The Cavaliers managed to beat the Brooklyn Nets. They stay as hot as the smoldering torch, the Cleveland Cavaliers, another team that didn't really make any moves on the trade deadline. And then you had Dallas 
going against the New York Knicks. And I actually had my father at the game last night, and he was keeping a close eye on things for me. He was at Madison Square Garden. And you, you're you thinking always when uh, when you're watching Dallas, you're always wondering, okay, is Luka playing? Is Kyrie playing? Luka and Kyrie. And actually, Luka and Kyrie were both playing in, in the game last night. What was surprising was Jalen Brunson wasn't, wasn't playing for the Knicks. So if OG Ananobi is out and Jalen Brunson is out and Julius Randle is out, I mean, how much of a chance do the Knicks really have when the Mavericks had seemingly their entire team outside of the uh, players who they traded, which was they traded Steph, uh, Seth Curry, and they were welcoming in to their team Gafford, and they were welcoming in uh, P.J. Washington, but those guys weren't there yet. They also traded away uh, Grant. So... You know, but the the Mavericks had their key players, and when Luca, Hardaway, and uh, and Kyrie are on the floor, and the Knicks don't have their number one player, and they don't have the players who they're waiting to receive, you know, it's it's pretty easy to understand that the Mavericks were able to beat the Knicks in New York last night. My father told me that he was very very impressed with the way the Knicks second unit played. He said the game really should have been a much bigger blowout than it was but the second unit played really well to even keep that game somewhat close and it wasn't even that close the, the final score was 122 uh, 108 so it was a 14 point victory for Dallas with Luca playing without the mask he's uh the all the reports were that he was waiting to be fitted for a custom fit mask for his broken nose but I guess he played in the game he felt like it's okay I'm, I'm probably not going to get whacked in the face again uh, you know questionable decision from Luca to risk that on one game of basketball against a shorthanded Knicks team, but okay, works out for them. Mavericks get the victory in Madison Square Garden. You have the Timberwolves facing off against the Milwaukee Bucks in Milwaukee, and this game was never really close. The Timberwolves always had a 9-10 point lead throughout the entire game, and really this game could have been even worse as well. You had a guy on Milwaukee just catch fire in garbage time. This guy was uh, A.J. Green. A.J. Green hitting... Scoring 27 points, hitting a whole bunch of three-pointers in the second half of the ball game to even keep it somewhat of a game. But what I love right now from the from the Milwaukee perspective is you're going to really get to see Pat Beverly in all of his glory. Because Pat Beverly is going to walk into Milwaukee and he's going to be like, I'm here. The Savior has entered. <laughs> the Savior is here. Just I'm going to come in and we are going to instantly start winning, I'm going to right the ship. Now, Pat Beverly isn't that much of a difference maker at this point in time, but it could be that actually on this Milwaukee team where they're lacking competitiveness and they're lacking defense, that Pat Bev will be able to really help them. And I'm excited to see the influx of energy and the, the mindset that he's going to bring to Milwaukee. Is he going to really be able to change things up? And I think there's no better way to enter into the Pat Beverly era in Milwaukee than losing a bunch of games coming into, you know, before his first game. They're coming in on a low, and they'll see what he can bring them, and it should be really pronounced. Whether they continue to lose, that will definitely pronounce the, the lack of impact he'll have. And if they win, then he's going to be able to say, look at me. I walk into Milwaukee, and uh, we can't lose a ball game." So it should be really interesting to see what happens. Also, Mike Conley was absolutely on fire in that game. A really great Mike Conley game. Um, Minnesota. Minnesota, not a team that had any players really in flux. Obviously, Milwaukee lost campaign. 
They lost uh, Robin Lopez, who wasn't really playing for them anyway. But Damian Lillard also didn't play in the game, so a little bit more understandable why they lost that by so many points, 129-105 to Minnesota. Then you have a close game between the Bulls and the Grizzlies, which we were on. We said that the game between the Bulls and the Grizzlies would be closer than you would expect. The Grizzlies players really try hard, and the Bulls are, are just a little puzzling. The, the Bulls game last night, you have DeRozan putting up 30 points. You have Vucevic putting up 20 points, Kobe White putting up 20, Andre Drummond putting up 21. So you have, right there, you have uh, DeRozan, Vucevic, and Drummond, three guys who they totally could have traded and nobody would have minded. Nobody would have cared whatsoever, but you know what? They're, they are there. They score their double digits. They they get the, the 30, 20, and uh, 21 from Drummond. And okay, you know, the Chicago Bulls can... Uh, great job. You beat the Grizzlies. Fantastic. I'm sure your fans will be really, really proud of you for making zero trades and going out and beating a G League team like the Memphis Grizzlies. Grizzlies, meanwhile, they put up 55 points from two players named Jackson. Jaron Jackson... Junior scoring 28, and Gigi Jackson scoring 27. So, you know, and then they uh, they added 15 points from Scottie Pippen Jr. So a little bit interesting to uh, see the players who are scoring from the Memphis Grizzlies. It's fun to see what G League players get called up and get to play for them. They also played players with uh, the following names. Jacob Gilliard played 20 minutes. Trey Jameson played 15 minutes. And Tosan Evbom... Ev Buam Wen. Tosan Ev Buam Wen. I mean, this is just, uh, these, these guys, you can't make up these names. It's almost too good. So there you have it from the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Timberwolves, you have the Bulls, Grizzlies, and then you have uh, the Jazz going to Phoenix. The Jazz sent out a couple of guys. They sent out Kelly Olinick, right? They lost Olinick. They lost a couple of other players who uh, weren't as impactful. They lost uh, Fontecchio, sent him over to Detroit. So, you know, with some players in flux, it's very understandable that the, the Suns were able to handle them in this game. The Suns had their big three playing for them, right? The Suns had uh, minus, they didn't have the entire big three. They had, uh, they were missing Devin Booker, but it was enough with Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal that they were able to beat a shorthanded Utah team trading away some veterans, trading away some pieces that actually matter. They also traded away uh, Ochai Agbaji, another guy who played real minutes for them. So Utah, Utah losing to uh, Phoenix by 14 points in Phoenix, where Phoenix is, has proven that they're a pretty tough team to play on their home court, specifically in the fourth quarter. So Kevin Durant gets the job done. We already discussed the Pistons and the Trailblazers, the Pistons losing seven players in one day and somehow beating the Trailblazers, who didn't lose a single guy. And then you have, of course, the game of the night. Maybe I should have led with this one. But you have the Nuggets versus the Lakers in a game that was really getting close coming down to the wire. And you had, on on one side, you have Michael Porter Jr., where he's, he scored a couple of short corner, left, left, uh, left short corner three-pointers at the end of the ballgame. And when his shot is going, it's really a thing of beauty. And he switched both of those shots that he got in the short corner. But the most important player of the night for Denver was Jamal Murray. Because Jamal Murray, when the game was tied right right with like about two minutes to go, the game was tied. Jamal Murray, uh, after a an Austin Reeves three, 
that brought the game to a tie. Jamal Murray ran down the court immediately, hit a three right back to put the Nuggets back up by three in a game where the Nuggets had never been down the entire game. They were leading from start to finish. Lakers tie it up right near the end of the ball game off of an incredible, like a really, truly incredible block by Jackson Hayes. Uh, Jamal Murray was running the ball in transition. Uh, they had Nikola Jokic previous in the previous play hit Peyton Watson for an incredible dunk on a back cut. And they were going to get another dunk to Watson in transition, but an incredible hustle from Jackson Hayes. He ran down, he had the chase down block completely from behind. Whereas sometimes when LeBron gets those chase down blocks, they're kind of from, the, from behind, but from the side. Jackson Hayes basically swatted this one from completely behind. And it was a, an unbelievable rejection, one that almost resulted in them winning the ball game. Then they get the three-pointer from Austin Reeves to tie it up, but Jamal Murray is just too cold. And it seems like he has a thing for absolutely torturing the Lakers like he did in the playoffs last season. And Jamal Murray hits not only the three-pointer to get the three-point lead back, but then... The Lakers don't score, and Jamal Murray just runs it down the other way and, and takes a two-point shot and hits it and putting the Lakers up by five, putting the, uh, the Nuggets up by five. And Jamal Murray could have taken more time off the clock. He didn't really hesitate on either the three or the two, shooting them both early in the shot clock. But I guess when you're that good and you trust your shot that well and you know that you have a shot that should go in, you take the shot. And that was a, a really, really cold, cold performance from Jamal Murray, just absolutely uh, taking it back from the Lakers when the Lakers were hoping to snatch victory from the draws of defeat. Nuggets winning 114-106, and that's going to place the Nuggets into a tie with Minnesota, who also won last night for first place in the Western Conference. I would say by the end of this, the, the Nuggets probably have the best odds to actually be the one seed in the Western Conference. The defending champions, they really have it rolling. They're playing, they've played better in uh, you know the last 20 games than the first uh, 20 or so games, they're they're heating up, heading into the All-Star break. They didn't need to make any moves to change anything to be changed on their team with the trade deadline. And right now, they got to love the place that they're in. They're the defending champions, and they are poised to be the one seed in the West come playoff time. Outside of that, any other news to discuss? We have some games coming up tonight. There are two, four, six games of basketball on a Friday night. You have the Hawks, also a team who didn't do anything at the trade deadline, going into Philadelphia to face the Sixers. The Sixers are bringing over Buddy Heald. We'll see if he's available in this game. But still, they won't have Joel Embiid. So we'll see. Maybe the Sixers can put some uh, some three-pointers together and and uh, you know get a victory at home. But most likely, the Hawks, who didn't have to trade anybody who have the stability coming into this Sixers-Hawks matchup, the Hawks should be able to get the victory. Then you have the Rockets, another team totally silent at the trade deadline, going against the Raptors, who made a couple of moves, but the Raptors kept all of their key players. The only one they really traded out, I guess, who plays big minutes for them, was uh, Dennis Schroeder. And they're bringing over Dinwiddie. We'll see if he's available in the game. That's the key to a lot of these ones. It's Who's going to be available? If the Raptors are missing a bunch of guys, yeah, maybe the Rockets will win the game. But I would expect the Raptors, if they have Olenek, if they have Dinwiddie, the Raptors should be able to give the Rockets all they can handle on their home court. The, Ra the Raptors, when they're committed defensively, 
they can take the other team's offense out of it. So I would give the Raptors the edge in this game against the Rockets. Then you have the Wizards losing Daniel Gafford. They held on to Tyus Jones. I'm not really sure why they did that. I don't know where the Wizards think they're going. They're, one, they're a bottom three team in the, in the Eastern Conference, but they held on to Tyus Jones, okay, for whatever reason. They're going to march into Boston, where they're going to get absolutely destroyed by the Boston Celtics. Celtics bringing over Xavier Tillman. We're looking forward to seeing what he can add to that already complete championship roster. Then you have the Hornets. They will be going into Milwaukee. Milwaukee is just in such a funk that it's actually conceivable that a Hornets team could give them a run for their money. Obviously, come playoff time, this will be a different story. Milwaukee will figure things out over the course of the next 30 games. But Milwaukee right now is in a place where any team can beat them. If they have Patrick Beverly in tonight's game, I'll be very curious to see what happens because I think he will add a whole new wrinkle to their team. If Damian Lillard's playing and Patrick Beverly's playing, then I'll be really excited to see the Bucks come out with a resounding victory at home. But if they are not playing, I could see a, a very strange upset with the Hornets getting rid of Gordon Hayward, who wasn't playing anyway, the Hornets getting rid of P.J. Washington, Somehow, for some reason, they held on to Miles Bridges, a, a player who seemed to be garnering interest around the league. Um, and the Hornets said, eh, I guess we'll keep him. Uh, a bewildering decision from Charlotte, but they're a team who makes bewildering decisions on the daily. Then you have the Nuggets coming off of last night's win, going back-to-back. -back. They're going to face off against Sacramento. Sacramento wasn't able to win their last one, so uh, we'll see if they can get back into the win column against a pretty hot Denver Nuggets team. And then you have the Pelicans. They're playing pretty well right now. Brandon Ingram is playing very, very well. CJ McCollum is chipping in where he has to. And they'll be going against the Lakers. Lakers have to have a tough back-to-back, -back, losing to the Nuggets last night, and now playing a hot Pelicans team. So I would say the Pelicans really are in position to, to win this one. Pelicans, not a team that made any trades. Not a, and the Lakers as well, not a team that made any trades. Lakers losing last night. And uh, we'll see if they can uh, take this back-to-back -back and split it and go one and one there you pretty much have it. Things start, to things start to line up more clearly when you can see the teams actually playing with their newly acquired players. And we'll see that over the course of the next few days heading into the All-Star break. And then after the All-Star break, the, the action will really heat up. As we look in the standings, we have Celtics at one. Cavaliers are in the two seed. And they've now, with Milwaukee continuing to lose and, Caval and Cleveland continuing to win, Cleveland's up by two games, so they've increased that to two-game lead for the two-seed in the Eastern Conference. Pretty sweet if you're a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. Then you have Milwaukee at three, tied with the Knicks in four, so 3-4. Three, you have Milwaukee and the New York Knicks tied. 76ers, two games behind them at five and looking to continue to drop. The Pacers at six, the Heat at seven, the Magic at eight, and then the Bulls and the Hawks, nine and ten for the play-in. In the Western Conference, you have the Nuggets and the Timberwolves tied atop the Western Conference in uh, a race where we see the Nuggets climbing over the Timberwolves eventually down the stretch. The Thunder, a half a game back in the three spot. The Clippers, a half a game back from the Thunder in the four spot. And then a half a game back from that. Sorry, <laughs> four games back from that. You have the Phoenix Suns, and then just behind them, you have the Pelicans, the Kings, the Mavericks. And then the Lakers and the Jazz currently rounding out the 9 and 10 in the play-in tournament. And then the Warriors are on the outside looking in, trying to find a, a way to, uh, to get in there. They're currently in a tie with Utah, so 
A win for the Warriors would put them in front of Utah. The Warriors have won three in a row, and they haven't had to make any changes on their team, so I would look for the Warriors to get into that play-in and get ahead of the Utah Jazz. Utah getting rid of a couple of their key pieces, specifically Olenek and Agbaji and Fontecchio. So the Warriors should be able to climb over the Jazz in the duration of the season, but it's all going to really shake out over the next 30 games or so. It should be pretty exciting as we start to see the playoff matchups shape up, and we see which players who got traded will actually make an impact on their new teams. So I think that's it for us today. We, have, we are NBAV. Follow us on social. The social follows have definitely been climbing. It's pretty awesome to see. And you can reach out to the show on Avenue at yahoo.com with your questions and comments. We are your source for some casual conversation and great sports takes on your favorite sport basketball. Tune in for a great time every time. And until next time, we are out.